When my older daughter Grace was just a toddler, we were having dinner together one night around the table, and as she sometimes does at the dinner table, she politely asked for a dinner roll. We handed her one. And it was in that moment that I realized that this five-year-old little girl, for better or for worse, was not only watching but studying what her daddy did for a living. Because in that moment, she took that little buttered piece of bread and she proceeded to stand up on top of her chair at the dinner table, (laughs) took that dinner roll in that little pair of hands that she had and raised it to the sky. (laughs) And with a quiet, innocent, but confident toddler voice, she said, this is Jesus. Then she proceeded to sit back down, but before taking a bite of that dinner roll, leaned over to her grandpa and said, but it's only make-believe, grandpa. (laughs) I wasn't sure whether to beam or to blush in that moment. You know, deep down inside, we know that little Grace was right. We We don't believe that in the act of communion, that piece of bread that we eat literally transforms into the anatomical and cellular composition of Jesus of Nazareth from 2,000 years ago. That's not what United Methodists believe. But we would never go so far as to say that what happens in communion is simply make-believe and pretend. So what is it exactly that we believe happens when we take communion together. Why is it so important? Today we're beginning a brand new four-week worship series called Worship Works. It's one that I've been looking forward to for quite some time now because each of these Sundays during the month of January, we're going to go in depth into what some of the important elements of worship really are for us what they mean, why they're significant, why we do what we do when we gather together on Sunday morning. And here's the, here's the fundamental shift that I hope happens in us over these next four weeks. I, as your senior pastor, will feel like this worship series will work if we walk away with this important shift in mind when it comes to worship on Sundays. It is not about what's in it for us. The question is, what are we in it for? It's very important because oftentimes our default mode when we come into worship on Sundays is to ask, boy, I I hope I get what I need out of worship. What's in it for me? I hope that it's entertaining. I hope it's not too boring. I hope it doesn't run too long. I hope that I at least get to laugh once. I hope that maybe it'll move me to tears. I hope I get what I need to get through the week. It's a natural approach to worship. It's sort of our human default human condition when it comes to gathering in a space like this. We hope we get what we need when it comes to worship. But you know what? That's not what the gift of worship is all about. God didn't give us the gift of worship in order to simply meet our needs. Because if it was, then worship would be nothing more than, here it comes again, it would be nothing more than a big vending machine 
that if we get together on Sunday and just do the right things, we'll get what we want and what we need. Instead, worship comes to us at precisely the right time, precisely the right place, acknowledging that especially as we start a new year together, we live in an utterly broken and dark world, a place that needs healing and reconciliation. And God is calling you and me to be part of the healing of this broken world. And the place where we are reminded of that calling and where we realign and recalibrate our ways to the way and will of God is in the act of worship. When we worship God, it is not about what's in it for me. It's a reminder of what we are in it for. And I hope that by the time this series is over, you will approach worship in a completely different way, ready to receive your marching orders from the kingdom, to be able to go out and be an ambassador for peace and love in the world, and knowing that in the context of worship, you have gotten all that you need to be all that God has called you to be at a time and a place such as this, which is why it is so important that as we start this new series, and start this new year, we do so talking about communion. What in the world does communion mean? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. There have been volumes and volumes of books and studies done about the meaning and significance of communion throughout the history of the Christian church. If I really wanted to, I wouldn't dare, but if I really wanted to, I could hold you captive for the next several hours, demonstrating to you all of the multi-layered meanings of communion and why it's so important to us. But I'm not going to do that. Hallelujah, someone said. Thank you very much. What a way to start the new year. Thank you very much. Instead... I'm not going to lecture you. I'm going to turn to a songwriter. In fact, I'm going to turn to the songwriter when it comes to the Methodist movement. We're going to do something a little different for the rest of this sermon. We're going to turn to the lyrics by the great Charles Wesley, who wrote a hymn called Come Sinners to the Gospel Feast. What I'm going to do is read a verse to you. I'm going to talk about it, and we're going to sing it. Now, Come Sinners to the Gospel Feast is in our hymnal. It's only got five verses, even though the original one, which we're going to share together, had about eight verses. We're going to go through those eight verses. You'll be able to follow along on the screen. But each of those verses, here's what I want you to see. Each of these verses talks about a different aspect of the meaning and power of communion. And to make it a little more handy and a little more portable for us today, I've taken each of those verses and condensed it down to a single word, a word that begins with the letter C, so that each of these verses will be revealed to you as important in describing communion. So we're going to jump right into this. Come sinners to the gospel feast. Here's the first verse. Come sinners to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye not... One be left behind, for God hath bid all humankind. The word here is come. Communion is an act of gathering together. Now notice something, that when we gather for communion, this is a place and a time for us to come 
physically together, especially in a time where we are so digitally dispersed and we connect with people all around the world without actually having to see them. Communion is a physical act. We gather with people together and we touch the bread and we taste the cup. It is a tactile, physical experience, which, by the way, is exactly what the incarnation was. Communion is a reminder that God is with us in this particular time, in this place, so we gather physically together. So let us sing about coming together in Christ. Come sinners to the gospel feast Let every soul be Jesus' guest Ye need not one be left behind For God hath made all humankind Verse 2 Sent by my Lord, on you I call. The invitation is to all. Come, all the world. Come, sinner, thou. All things in Christ are ready now. You know what? You don't need to be a member of this church. You don't need to be United Methodist to celebrate communion. We say that every time we gather together. But theologically, here's the reason. This table does not belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. And Jesus has opened the invitation to everyone throughout the world. And you know what that means? It means that when we gather together for communion, we are connected. That single act of receiving the bread and cup connects us with Christians all around the world in that sacred sacrament. But you know what? That's not the most mind-blowing thing of all. Here's what's really mind-blowing. The deep theological understanding of communion, when we receive this sacrament, we are not just connected to people in the world today, we are actually connected to all the saints who have gone before us. And we believe that all of those people are spiritually around this table when we gather. All of your loved ones who have gone before you have met us in this table. But one step further we also join with all of the saints who will come after us. People that we will never meet, people who will follow Jesus long after we're gone, they are around this table too. It is a cosmic, beautiful, and deeply mysterious thing to believe that in communion we are connected to the saints. So let us sing about this connection around the communion table. Sent by my Lord, on you I call. The invitation is to all. Come all the world, come sinner thou. All things in Christ are ready now. Verse 3 provides a list. And I bet your name is on that list. Look at the way that Charles Wesley describes the human condition. And I suspect that your condition in some way is listed in this verse. Come, all ye souls, by sin oppressed, ye restless wanderers after rest, 
ye poor and maimed and sick and blind, in Christ a hearty welcome find. Doesn't matter what kind of life you're living now. Doesn't matter what has plagued you in the past. In communion, you find comfort from God. From all that has labored you, all that has pained you, all that has hurt you and broken you, in this act of receiving communion, you find the comfort of Jesus in a physical, tactile, and comforting way. It is a blessed gift that God has given to us in this sacrament. Let us affirm together as we sing about the comfort of God. Come all ye souls by sin oppressed, ye restless wanderers after rest, ye poor and maimed and sick and blind, in Christ a hearty welcome find. And now Charles Wesley gets to meddling. He goes with an assumption that no person is perfect. And perhaps he's thinking about his own faults, his own sins, his own weaknesses, as he writes this verse, Come and partake in the gospel feast. Be saved from sin. In Jesus, rest. Oh, taste the goodness of your God and eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's an acknowledgement that all of us have sins. And communion is an opportunity for us to confess those sins. So that by confessing our sins, we can empty our souls and come forward to the table with empty hands, ready and expectant to receive the body and blood of Jesus. It's why, by the way, when we come forward for communion, you come forward to receive with hands outstretched like this. We don't ask that when you come forward for communion that you come up and you tear the bread yourself and, and, and eat it and take the cup and drink it. When Jesus called the disciples forth, he didn't say, y'all come up and get it. Y'all come on up and help yourself. The Bible is very clear. He took that bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. And the only way we can receive that bread is by emptying our hands and emptying our souls. And the way we do that is by confessing our sins. So let us sing about the act of confession as a preparation for communion. Come and partake the gospel feast. Be safe from sin in Jesus' rest. Oh, taste the goodness of your God and eat his flesh and drink his blood. Wesley here thinks about what happens after communion. And here's what he realizes. When we take communion... After coming up to the altar, we physically turn around. And with the altar to our back, we face the doors to begin our re-entry into the real world. And here's where Wesley realizes that after communion, after we've received this amazing gift of God's grace, it is now upon us 
to be the body and blood of Christ. There's a calling here to be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood for the entire world. And so communion offers this stirring call for us to renew our commitment to Jesus, to be part of the hands and feet, the body and blood of a broken and hurting world. And so when you receive communion, you not only receive God's grace, you commit yourself to be the ambassadors of God's grace to a world that desperately needs it. Make no mistake, the consequences of communion linger long after you leave the table. Let us sing together about the commitment we make in the act of communion. My message as from God receive, ye all may come to Christ and live. Oh, let his love your hearts constrain, nor permit him to die in vain. This next one is so easy to miss. It's so easy to miss because if we're not careful, we, all we think about when we take communion may simply be that little piece of bread and that, that little drip drop of juice that we take together. It just takes a few seconds to eat it. We might take it and it might just pass through our gums and we might not even think about the significance of what we've just done. And so that we don't forget it, Wesley devotes this next verse to reminding us that in that moment of communion, that little piece of bread and that little morsel of juice represents the unfathomable, limitless, eternal, incredible love of God, not just for the whole universe, but for little old you. In that little physical moment, we are introduced to the superphysical, unbelievable spiritual love of God that has been given to you in Jesus. And so this next verse simply invites you to contemplate the love of God. He says, His love is mighty to compel. His conquering love consent to feel. Yield to His love's resistless power and fight against your God no more. Let us sing about contemplating the love of God in communion. His love is mighty to compel, His conquering love consent to feel, yield to His love's resistless power, and fight against your God no more. You want to know what happens when we say this is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ? If we don't believe that it literally becomes the body and blood of Christ, what is it that we believe? I think this next verse by Wesley says all that we need to say. That we believe that when we come to this table, we can see with absolute clarity, with spiritual eyes, the real presence of Jesus in our midst. It means that when we take that bread and when we drink the cup, Jesus is actually here in a very real spiritual way, just like he was with the disciples in the upper room, lifting that cup and lifting that bread and offering himself to the disciples. He is here 
really present with us. And that's why if you ever feel alone, if you ever feel like God is distant from you or abandoned you, the act of joining together in communion is your means of grace to be in physical, spiritual proximity to this God who is near you. This next verse reminds us that we remember through commemoration the real presence of Jesus who was with us. See him, he says, set forth before your eyes that precious bleeding sacrifice, his offered benefits embrace, and freely now be saved by grace. That first line, see him set forth before your eyes. Let's sing about this commemoration that comes from the act of communion. See him set forth before your eyes That precious bleeding sacrifice His offered benefits embrace And freely now be saved by grace Wesley ends with a big note with a positive, uplifting note, this last verse reminds us that when we gather for communion, this is not a death ritual we're observing. This is not a morose, morbid, somber kind of occasion. This is a moment of victory. What Jesus did for us on the cross by offering himself to us is a moment of victory over all that has vanquished the world. It is a moment of celebration and a moment for us to remember that in Christ we have the victory over all that plagues us. This is the time. No more delay. This is the Lord's accepted day. Come thou this moment at his call and live for him who died for all. Let us sing with great celebration what Christ has done for us. This is the time, no more delay. This is the Lord's accepted day. Come thou this moment at his call and live for him who died for all. Eight verses. Eight words to describe the rich meaning, rich meaning and significance of communion, which means that there really is only one more thing for us to do in this service to kick off the new year, and that's to receive communion together. I want to let you know that the words that we use here in this church to prepare for communion are not the words of Hyde Park United Methodist. These are the words of the ancient liturgy that connects us to people who have come before us long ago. This ancient liturgy, this, this great thanksgiving, are words that we hold sacred, and that's why we say them every time we gather for communion. But I'm not going to lie, these are churchy-sounding words. These are sort of religious kinds of words that do require some unpacking in order for us to see why they're so important and why we say what we say. So we're going to take some time today to prepare for communion in a unique way, which is this instructed Eucharist that you were given as an insert when you came in to the sanctuary today. And for those who are viewing online, it is available on our website. If you simply click on the church website, 
backslash live. What you'll find are words that should be familiar to you. They are the great Thanksgiving words that we hear and speak every time we get together. But they're interspersed by words in red. And those words will be read by someone who will be guiding us through the meaning of what these words say. The person reading those red words will be our own Michael Dougherty, who is our Director of Traditional Worship. He is also our Supervisor of the Worship Office, and he helped me put this Eucharist together so that you can walk out of this place knowing why we say what we say and why it's so deeply meaningful for us. Before we do that, we're going to receive the offering, just like we always do after every sermon. But it's important to remember that the act of taking up an offering in the context of Christian tradition is not just passing around an offering plate and putting money in there to support the funds of the church. The act of offering is itself a way of preparing for communion. It is a way of, again, emptying our lives so that we can come to the table with empty hands. And so as we take up the offering this morning, I invite you to spiritually recommit yourself to a bright new 2017 to follow Jesus into this broken world and be an ambassador of grace. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gift of communion. Thank you that in tasting the bread and drinking of the cup, we are reminded of so many rich things, that you are always with us, and that in you we find comfort and forgiveness from all that plagues us. Prepare us now that we might receive this gift with ready and open hearts so that we can then in turn go into the world as your body redeemed by your blood. For all these things, we give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.